probably the best one that I've ever done is I dressed up like a clown. So no kidding. Um, no, yeah. So uh, it was it was pretty incredible. During the last song that was being played, uh, two of the clowns that were there um, took me out, and I had the nose and the hat and the yeah. big bow tie and everything, and came back out to do the rest of the service dressed as a clown. That's a big thing. Sometimes I like to start off the podcast with just a really hard hitting question. And Danielle, I'm sorry to like put you on the spot. This is your first time on the mortuary show and I'm going to hit you with a hard one right off the bat. So if you need to take a minute to, to answer it, it's totally fine. Um, Danielle, what would you say the best state in the United States is? Oh, the best state. You know, I think I'm going to have to go to Iowa. Yeah. You know, it's a toss up, though, because, you know, I, I left some, I left some of my my dearest friends down in Texas. So but, you know, I have to go with Iowa. Yes, that is the correct answer for everyone listening. Good. That is the correct answer. Oh, my goodness. I uh, Danielle is the, the CEO of the of the Iowa Funeral Directors Association. Um, I myself uh, am an alumni of the University of Iowa. So I have a special tie in. It is my favorite state, too. Don't tell uh, the people from Illinois that though, that's for sure. <laughs> you just did. <laughs> oh, damn it. Um, so Danielle, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, you've been all over the place um, in every aspect of funeral service. And I think it's going to be a really fun conversation for people that are looking to dip their toe or are in the funeral industry, but maybe don't want to be specifically a quote unquote funeral director. There are so many different avenues and you've been all over the place. You've done so many different these different things. So I think it's going to be super valuable for people to understand and hear your story and how you got to where you are now. And um, so, yeah, just give me a little bit about, I guess, right now what you're doing, and then we could jump around your whole career in funeral service. So what are you doing right now with uh, your association and uh, how'd you get there? Yeah, so um, I'm the CEO and executive director for the association. Um, I've been here for about 18 months. Uh, my first day was convention um, of 2022 and very fast whirlwind to, to get here. But um, I was previously at uh, Parklawn and was down in Houston and really just wanted to come back home to this amazing state of Iowa. And, That's right. Um, Right. And see my kiddos. And so this job presented itself. And I, um, you know, it, I had to take a, a long look because it's it's a it's a different uh, aspect than what I'm used to. Sure. And and a lot of legislative things, mm -hmm. um, a lot of things that were probably not in my wheelhouse. And some of them I've had to learn along the way. And. I'm fortunate that I've been able to do that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this is where I am now and tend to stay. Um, so, but just a lot of education things, a lot of legislative, sure. uh, a lot of legislative work. Um, we also have a master trust that we oversee. And, um, you know, we're here to answer the questions when funeral directors have them and, and um, bring good things to them as far as benefits when we can. Yeah, the associations are such an imperative part of what we do as funeral directors. 
every funeral director is a part of one or multiple different associations. It's the way we get our education. It's the way we connect with other people. And it's a good way to, to be part of our small community as funeral directors and people in funeral service. And the associations are all part of that. And I encourage if you haven't gone outside of your little association that you're part of as a funeral director or in funeral service and, and go out there and try these different places and different things because you can learn a lot. I've already learned a good amount myself just going to different conventions outside of my own standard one that I've been doing for 10 years. It's good to expand those horizons and uh, be a part of these associations because they're they're important for what we're doing now and the future because we know how rapidly involved uh, rapidly evolving our industry is and so we gotta we gotta stay on top of that so tell us uh your story what what happened how'd you even get dip your toe into funeral service because it's a rare thing it's a rare thing yeah especially for somebody that doesn't come from you yeah. know a funeral background as far as family and um and so it really it goes back to high school just a couple years ago right um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It goes back to high school and I took an aptitude test and that aptitude test said my first career choice should be a funeral director. And, and you were uh, sold. I, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> I said, um, oh, hell no, I'm not going to do that. And so ironically, fast forward several years later, um, after the loss of my father, there was just something that kind of kept tapping me on the shoulder that this was something that I wanted to do. Didn't really know why. Yeah. And um ended up working in, in pre-need um, for several years, actually, and then kind of migrated through through marriage and things like that into working in a funeral home. And in 2006, became a celebrant. And that was also, a well, that was a funeral home that actually called and, and said, we want you to go to um, Insight Books and, and get certified as a celebrant. And I'm like, um, Oh, hell no. Because <laughs> Again. No way, I'm like, I can write the eulogy, but there is just no way that I'm going to stand up in front of people that I don't know and deliver this <laughs> eulogy. And so, but I went and did that and I've probably done close to about 200 funerals um, since then. And so I guess I keep saying, oh, hell no. And then I end up doing it anyway. But um, I, so I did that and, and then owned and managed a monument company and, uh, that was a very unique experience and, and almost, sure. uh, you know, one that you get to kind of at the tail end of it all, sit with a family and say, let's, let's create that one final piece. Yeah. That is the piece that you're going to be looking at mm -hmm. when you go to the cemetery. And so let's get this right. I don't care if we sit here for four hours trying to design something and you come back 10 more times, let's get it right. Absolutely. And, and so, I love doing that. I, and again, it was outside of my wheelhouse as far as design, but um, I enjoyed it and got to meet some really, really amazing people. And and then in 2015, I got a call from a friend that was working at Aurora Casket mm -hmm. and said, we have the perfect job for you. And I said, all right, tell me about it. Your first time and you ever I, said, all right. <laughs> I, I, I didn't say, well, no, I said to him, I'm like, why are you even calling me? Because when he when he would call and say, what are you doing? It was like, um, is that a good question or a bad question? Because you just never knew what you were going to get. Sure. So um, 
I said, he asked me what I was doing. I said, why, what do you want to, why, why is it any of your business? But uh, anyway, so I, I interviewed with um, a very well, friend of mine now, wasn't a friend at the time. I knew who he was, um, Bill Hudson. And that was, that was about it. And I was on board with Aurora and I was actually their um, program development manager. So I went out and worked cool. with funeral homes across the United States to develop community programs oh. and working with hospice, assisted living, the Alzheimer's association, anything that we could kind of dip our toe into with yeah. the community that would strengthen that relationship. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time on an airplane. Sounds like it. Traveling to every state that we were in. And you still couldn't find a topper to Iowa after all those travels. <laughs> no, and I could I could list all the states I've been to, and I found some really fantastic people in every state and some really fantastic things about every state, but Iowa was still the best. Absolutely. I, I'd love to talk about each aspect, uh, if, if you don't mind, about what, what you've come to what you've gone through and where you've been. So I guess we could start at the beginning. Um, what was your life like doing pre-need sales? And um, were you at a specific funeral home or did you bounce around a little? And um, you know, what, what, what was that like for you? And what were some of the highs and lows of that? Because I think that's something that a lot of people, maybe if you don't want to be involved in the prep room, like a lot of states, you, you don't have that split license. Like you have to do both. And I think pre-need is a good way to get your foot in the door like you did and have that connection with families and build out that, that ideal farewell for someone while they're still here. So maybe tell us a little bit about um, how you enjoyed that and what were some of the highs and lows um, being in that aspect of funeral service. Um, yeah, that was really my first, first exposure. Um, to funeral service without going to a funeral and had to learn a lot, I, was, I imagine. Yeah. So I worked directly with the funeral homes versus working with families. And mm -hmm. so really was my, my job to go in and represent a product. Um, and since you're going to edit this, <laughs> I will tell you, I, uh, I was like, Oh, I don't want to talk about this, but, um, I was with a, a company that is no longer. And, okay. um, uh, did some, did some bad things, but I didn't do the bad thing. I just, I happened to uh, um, take notice of a couple of things and uh, turn them in in Iowa. So that was probably the worst part of that job yeah. was having to, having to go to my funeral homes. And I talk pretty candidly about it, always yeah. have. And um, I, I, I went to the state and said, I think there's something wrong. And I went to every one of my funeral directors that I was working with and said, there's a problem. Something's and off. I re actually yeah. resigned that day. Yeah. Um, and, yep. and I don't like to focus on that, but yeah. I think that, I think for me, starting in that pre-need world and the aspect that I did allowed me to get to know the funeral directors. It allowed me to see the business um, definitely from the outside as somebody working with them, but tiptoeing a little bit into their world uh, as far as I, I was not afraid to you know, if they needed help on a service, I showed up. If they yeah. needed help with flowers, I showed up. Um, wow. and, and so I really got a lot of exposure. And I, I worked with some amazing funeral directors here in Iowa that yeah. took me under their wing a little bit and said, we'll show you what you want to what you want to know. And one of those funeral homes actually called me and said, um, 
will you become a celebrant for us? And I really yeah. had no idea what that was. And I looked into it and I said, I, I just, again, I was like, oh, hell no, I don't think I can do this. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> I, I went and I actually was, I think in the last class that Doug Manning and Glenda taught together, yeah. which is incredible. And went through that certification and came back three weeks later, did my first service. And um, but the, so those two things, the pre-need and that really kind of exposed me to funeral service. And I right. just fell deeper and deeper in love with it, I guess, and, yeah. and what it what it all meant and and how I could do my little, little tiny part. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say was the most uh, unique service that you were ever a part of or something that was a little bit different that you did uh, during your celebrant work? The, probably the best one that I've ever done is I dressed up like a clown. So No kidding. Uh, no, yeah, so uh, it was it was Tell pretty it. incredible. It was um, the gentleman was Doodles the Clown and he was a clown for the Shriners and lifelong Shrine Clown. And um, so I, I did a service and the several of the clowns came down to the service along with Pote and Tate and everybody, they were there. And I'm like, you know what? I think I need to, to just make this a little unique and interesting. So no. during the last song that was being played, uh, two of the clowns that were there um, took me out and got me dressed. I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't completely dressed up, but I had the nose and the hat and the yeah. big bow tie and everything and came back out to do the rest of the service dressed as a clown. That's and and it ended the service and then all of us that the clowns and the potentate came out to the front of the chapel and um now we didn't really have alcohol in the glasses but we just toasted you know the camel's milk and we did a toast um to doodles of the clown and that's how we ended the service and so cool uh, for me uh it was you know it was just giving back to the family the life, the story, yeah. the things that mattered. Um, and I, and I'm not dismissing anybody that wants the scriptures and the, and the religious oh, service by any means, but that, that humanistic touch to a service is so important because we get 30 to 45 minutes to talk about somebody's life right. and what they meant to us and to put a smile on her face to say, Oh my gosh, I'm so glad I had that person there. And yeah. so for me, that Though being able to do those services, and I still do them now every once in a while, just not like I used to, yeah. um, to, to be able to give that little piece at the end of it all um, to say, this is your loved one. And I'm not reading your obituary. I'm creating a story. Yeah. What is, is and still, you know, or was and still is so incredibly important. Yep. And um, so that was probably, that was probably the most y unique one. Yeah. Um, not to say, you know, I've, I've done other ones that were probably equally crazy, but. Uh, yeah. Did you, uh, as they're passing by the final casket, did you make them play Bozo Buckets to, to get out the door? <laughs> I should have. I should have. I should have. And, you know, no, and it, it was, you know, and the wife came rushing out of her chair after the service and I didn't really, and she was fragile, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what, you know, she, I couldn't tell if she was angry because she just was rushing at me. And she just wrapped her arms around me and she oh. said that was the most beautiful service wow. and and um she said makes you know please promise me that you'll you'll do my service 
which I did about three years later. Oh my gosh. Um, Yeah. So it's, and, and I think for me too was, um, and that's just that empathetic side of me. Yeah. I've done, I don't know, 200 and some funerals and I've only ever known two people. I've, I've known the rest. I did not know. Yeah. So you've got to make it personable. You have to make it about that person. And that's, that's what you did. And that's, so amazing yeah. and clearly you touched them i guess i have questions about it was he dressed in his his clown outfit or uh, uniform i suppose in the casket no uh-uh. okay i have a story I have a which story. i think would have been great yeah but uh-uh. I, have, I have a story um this was this was going probably five six years ago at this point i'm at the funeral home and uh we get a call and it's a, and it's an older woman. And she said, my son passed away. Can you help assist us? We're like, of course, whatever you need. And she says, I have some interesting odd requests. I was like, okay, well, whatever you need, we can take care of. Um, and she said, my son was a professional clown. And we were like, oh, okay. Like whatever you need, we, we can help you out. And uh, he, she's like, okay, I want him to be, to be dressed in his full clown uniform and said okay that's no problem they give give us the clothing and we'll do we'll do whatever you have to do and she's like okay like that would be great um i also want him in clown makeup have you ever done that like uh not quite but uh, i can run over to party city and i I could i could touch up some clown makeup and she said okay great i'm glad uh we'll give you a photo we we can do everything you need and she's like i i have a couple more and or i have one more interesting request we're like okay like whatever you need and she said i would like him to have a full open couch so the entire casket you know open like yeah. you have a lot of times for you would you'd see it for priests or whoever else and we said sure we can do that and may we ask why and she's like well he's got to have his his two foot clown shoes on so they're sticking out the bottom of the casket uh, yes. <laughs> we said sure we could do that for you ended up she must have gone elsewhere um maybe i was too excited on the phone to be able to, to do this for them but uh it was a very unique interesting request that we had from a family and it's so funny that you actually dealt with a situation like that before and it's it's one of those things where you'll do whatever it takes to to make a family happy and that seems like that's oh, your yeah. mentality too i mean i i've put on dreadlocks and you name it. I mean, it's, it's whatever, you know, just to find something a little unique about that person and to be able to deliver that and do that and, and help them to, um, you know, just the grief's going to be there, but I always say it's okay to be happy. It's okay to laugh. You have this wonderful person in your life. And, you know, I, and, and I know when I started out as a celebrant, it really was just, you know, individuals like myself that were like, oh, I want to do this. This, well, I didn't really want to do it. The funeral home kind of bribed me into it. <laughs> um, but I think now the way that they, that Insight Books is approaching um, the value of, of being a celebrant isn't always just somebody like me that's, that is the celebrant, but it's now also, there's a lot of funeral directors that, that are going through that certification. Training, yep understand the value of a celebrant and it makes them um, I've had several funeral director friends say it's made me a better funeral director um, it's it's helped me to meet with families better because I ask better questions I ask different questions right and and I know that there are times when if I meet with the family first as the celebrant 
I get a lot of information to be able to take back to the funeral director um, for the obituary um, to just kind of help guide the service in a way that it helps the funeral home to stand out too, to say, hey, this is what we can do for you. It it doesn't have to be this cookie cutter service that you think it is. And there's so many people that have a a, a view of a funeral um, that isn't what it is. Exactly. It might be what it was at one time, yeah. but it's not what it is now. And so I think that's where the celebrant um, and, and the funeral directors who go through that, that training or that certification can really begin to develop a, that, those humanistic services um, that, that the consumer is wanting these days. Right. I think we're moving more and more continuously towards that trend where we're doing things that are um, a little bit more unique and it's more of a celebration. It's more, um, it's more like a, a wedding in some respects where, where you're, you're doing things that are, are not just how they were done um, a long time ago. And I think funeral directors and funeral homes specifically, that's a way to distinguish yourself in the community because imagine if you're someone that was attending that service, it didn't matter if they were, you know, related to the clown world at all, they're going to remember that. And they're going to say, I, I've got to use this funeral home because who knows what they're going to do for me? Because that's that's what it's all about is making it about that person that lived that beautiful life and about those people that are still around to, to really commemorate them and remember how their life was well lived. Yeah, it's it. I think what for me, and this is what I tell my friends and my family is, you know, when you hear the word funeral, so many people go, ooh, but, yeah. and, and, and oftentimes when a family walks in and says, I don't want a funeral, it doesn't mean they don't want a service. Yeah. Yeah. They just, that word funeral has a different meaning to them. And, yeah. and, and it's because it's where we were. And um, so, yeah, that was, I, I will forever do that. Somebody could call me today that I did a service for 10 years ago and I probably would know who they are and I would step up to the plate to do it again. Yeah. So so you would, you would contact them and reach out to them before even arrangements sometimes, or how did that work to get that? And what are some questions that you would ask a family now that maybe us funeral directors could use during arrangements so we can make our services just that much better for the family? Um, yeah, there were times where I would just, it was more convenient for me to just kind of step in and meet with the family because it's what worked for them. And they were waiting to um, get get everybody together to go to the funeral home. And sometimes it was just a phone call. Sometimes I would drive to somebody's house and meet with the whole family. And yeah. um, whether it was one person or I think my largest group was 18 family Woo. members came together. Yeah. Um, and and that one was... That was the second service I ever did. And I was, yeah, but you know what? It ended up, ended up being really great because I just got really, really wonderful stories. And I think, um, I think it's just important when, when we're sitting with a family is to really say, what is it that, because a lot of people approach when they come in, they say, well, this is what mom wanted, or this is what dad wanted, or this is what my loved one wanted. I think that the, the biggest question we can ask is, what do you need to be able yeah. to continue? What, what is going to make you feel, 
you're still going to grieve, right? We're not trying to dismiss that because that's always going to be there. It, that's there forever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's ebb and flow on that. It just it comes and goes. So how can we help you to, as the survivor, to, to wake up tomorrow morning and say, it's going to be okay. Yeah. And, and, and I know that people go, well, I just want to do what, what, what mom wanted. And I hear that a lot. And it's like, okay, you know, maybe that's just the disposition. What the services for, for the, the survivors, right? The living. Mm-hmm. So what can we do to help your journey be okay? So tomorrow when you wake up, you know, it's going to be okay. And, and, and then, and not so much the, like, I'm not a, and I, I don't, hopefully you might have to edit this out. <laughs> um, I'm not a big proponent of real traditional aftercare. I think aftercare isn't me sending a pamphlet that says, read this, because we don't know where people are in their journey. Yeah. I think aftercare is saying, I'm going to be here for you um, down the road, even if it's a year from now or five years from now. Um, had a lady come into a funeral home in Texas when I was doing a project down there and she walked in and she was crying and, and I'm, you know, I'm sitting there, there's no funeral director in sight. And I'm like, can I help you? And she, she said, my husband's here. And I said, Oh, and she, and I said, did he pass away recently? And she said, no, he died five years ago. We had him cremated. And she said, I, I didn't, I just kept driving by here every day Uh, and I couldn't, I couldn't stop to get him because I didn't know what I was going to do next. It's heartbreaking. Right. And so it's, it's those things. It's saying somebody might not be ready to do something with the cremated remains, but maybe they will be. And so I think finding ways to have that, and I'm use this word loosely, that constant contact, or at least um, some sort of contact with the families to let them know that it's, it's okay. Especially with, you know, cremation, it's okay. If you need some time to decide what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, uh-huh. it's, it's okay. And, um, I know FDLIC did a study about, um, I thought this was really unique about if you ask somebody out in the general world, you go up to somebody on the, on the sidewalk and you ask, well, first of all, if you ask a funeral director, what's the, what do you think the average time is from, from the time somebody dies until the funeral? Most say three to four days, okay. right? Right. Because that's what we're used to. Standard. If you go out and ask the consumer, they're saying 12. No kidding. They're saying 12. And so when I think about that, and I think about my own experience with um, the person closest to me that has died, I've lost a lot of people, but my father um, is sometimes we're just not completely functioning to be able to make a lot of the decisions that we need to make, or we, we would make them differently if we had some time to think about it. Right. And, and I know that in, in cases where, you know, you're embalming and you're burying, you don't have that time, which again is why uh, prearranging and, and, and pre-funding is so important. But I also think that expands another thing to think about is making certain that, like with my mom, it, I wanted all of us to be present to talk about what she wanted as well as what we needed. Yeah. 
in. And I think that those always make the best services is when you find out what one person wants and then what the living is going to need. I think all of us that are making arrangements should write that question down. It's an open-ended question and it's up for the family's interpretation, how they want mm -hmm. to approach that. And it gives them that safe place for them to answer the question in the manner that they see fit. So it gives them that, that opportunity and that permission to say, what do you need? I know yeah. what mom or dad or, your husband or wife, whatever they wanted. I know what they wanted, but what do you need? It's such a powerful question and you don't know where that's going to lead you. And that's why that's such a beautiful question because we can take that and format, formulate whatever service that they're going to resonate with the most and appreciate the most because that's who, like you said before, Danielle, that's who we're doing it for. So keeping that, that open line of communication with them that is so crucial. And just that's one question. It's not like you have a list of things. And then most of us as funeral directors, despite what the maybe the population thinks, we're very personable people. Like we know how to have a conversation, how to guide it. And that's one way to to kick that off and start giving them that opportunity to to open up to you a little bit. Yeah, I think, you know, and, and the other thing that I know that I try to do with every family that I met with is just really bringing my authentic self to the table Everything. And, and not be the, I didn't want to pacify them, you know, in their moment of grief, because sometimes that's easily done where you're like, okay, I have these steps that I have to do. I have to ask them these 127 questions and I got to get through this. And you do. Right. And again, right. I go back to the value of, of pre-planning because a lot of those questions then can get answered. Yes. Um, and, and all that stuff is really great, but just bringing, being able to really bring your authentic self to the table and, and guide those conversations. And I think, you know, if I, I go back to when I was a celebrant, um, a little bit more full time. Yeah. I think that's where we were able to kind of sometimes people would even change their mind as to what they wanted to do because I asked those questions. I, I, I was asking the questions I needed to write a story about their life, to create something memorable for them. And the funeral director, rightfully so, is asking the questions that they need to do to, in order to perform their duties. Yeah. And, and, and it can, it can look very different, which again, I go back to why, you know, a funeral director understanding um, the value of a celebrant and getting some of that information is so important because I think it changes the way we have conversations. And sure. uh, so, yeah, that's, um, I think they all just go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that a lot of these organizations are starting to partner together to bring a nice package yeah. to the funeral home to say, listen, all of this works together. Um, we're not trying to monopolize your business, but all of these things work together where you, whether you use all of my stuff or you say, Hey, there's a value in having a celebrant on staff and there's a value in live streaming and there's a value in all these things, whether you use my package that has it all, or you, you look at your options, all of these things work together. They sure do. They sure do. Really cool. Love that. Oop, that's a death call here. Hold on just a second. All right, I think the students got it. I'm sorry about that. 
You know, we've been seeing a lot more business come in ever since we started Mortuary Marketing. And I got to tell you, all the few homes we work with, are they're saying the same thing. So what do we do? We run ads on Google and other similar sites that get directed at families that need a funeral home in your area. It then brings them to a page that we've designed for you that gets the family to call you to inquire for your services. It's really increased our volume big time. It's working for my funeral home, and I think most parlors could really benefit from its uses. I put a bunch of information in the podcast description. Go check it out. I'm always happy to help talk with you and answer any questions you might have. All right, let's get back to our morbid discussion. We're going to transition to your next phase then. You, you, you go into a, a monument company. You own a monument company. How did that come to be, and how was it? doing that and owning that and from a business point of view and from like a, a personal point of view, uh, what was that, that all like for you? Yeah. So, um, I, I, years ago, um, actually was married to a funeral director. And, um, so it was just kind of, um, I guess natural. And I helped at the funeral home quite a bit. I did a lot of our services there. I did about 40% of them. Um, and, and then I, maybe not quite that high, but 30% of them. Uh Um, and then I, he had started a a monument shop and then I was like, okay, let me see what I can do this. I came in and, um, we expanded and I grew it uh, to a point where we were doing, um, we had our own laser machine. We were doing a lot of the work and, I'm, I'm, I'm a hands-on, whether I'm managing, I own whatever it is, I'm very hands-on. And so I said, okay, I want to learn all of it. And I did. I learned everything from digging the foundations to setting the stones to lasering the stones to doing whatever I had to do with the CAD work, which was crazy trying to learn that because that was not how my brain works, but <laughs> I did it anyway. And I, I, I loved it. Now, the mad rush of Memorial Day trying to get stones done. And sometimes you're at the mercy of the granite company and things like that. Um, but I think that's also setting expectations right away out of the gate with the families that you're working with that you don't say, yeah, it's going to be here by Memorial Day. You say, we're going to do everything we can to get it here by Memorial Day. But here are the factors that come into play yeah. that cause this t- to have some delays. And so it's managing the expectations of your families. Exactly. And the other thing is, again, I, I sat there with them on site. I had a I had a big screen behind me and my screen in front of me. And so they could see me actively building their or designing their headstone. And they could say, oh, could you move that here or do this? We could actively do that together until we got to a place where they said, you know, what? I think I like that. And and sometimes it, my my sales cycle was probably a little bit longer, but um I, I got, I got them what they wanted and, um, and you know, some of the harder ones were when a family was, um, maybe a a second family where it was husband and wife, he had kids, she had kids and they were adults and they could just really struggled with each other. And so I, I had a, a bucket in front of me, a little tin bucket, and I'd give them a piece of paper and I would say, I want you to write down two things that are important to you. Okay and put them in the bucket. And then I would look at, and it was amazing to find out that typically they wanted the same thing. They, they just wanted to kind of argue a little bit. So just kind right. of sitting with families and saying, okay, you know what, 
this is this is that last piece. Let's get it right. But let's make certain that you all have something that you want. Um, it was physically hard work because there were times I had to go out and set headstones and had to dig the holes. And um, I learned, you know, when I got really good at driving a, a, a dually with a trailer and <laughs> loaded down with thousands of pounds of, of granite on it, but I got good at it and um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed what I did. I think for me, it's, it's not even about the job that I do. It's the people that I get to work with. It's everything. And that's why it's nice when you find that funeral home or that company or whatever that might be that has that, that, that family, you know, or friend, like when you, when you mesh together in the best way, that's what makes being in this industry so much, so much more tolerable on those hard days. And it just, it makes it all worthwhile end of the day. And I love that idea about the bucket. I think you really were acting as a funeral director there because all of us know that we deal with those situations all the time. So the tin bucket is not a bad idea to have in your arrangements room sometime because some of those families, when they're fighting and they just want to argue because they're that's how they're coping with it, um, yep. it happens very frequently. But finding the middle ground, and like we've been saying over and over, it's that open communication, that open line, and it just helps everyone to be on the same page and um, to move forward. So that's really great. What happened with the company towards the end? I know um, you moved to Aurora after that. So um, were you able to to sell your company or do you just uh, let it kind of fly or what happened? That 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 went to the other partner. Um, gotcha. And, and that's that's fine. That's <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that, that was, uh, you know, a different different time in my life um, now and then. Um, my friend John reached out to me and said, we have the perfect job for you. And I'd known John for years. And um, the, kind of the, the crazy story behind that, I was meeting with a gal from hospice and I was having coffee with her just to catch up. And she said, you know, I was talking to somebody from Aurora the other day and they were talking about this, this kind of service and product that they have. And she said, I thought about you. I thought, man, you would do such a good job with this. Yeah. And I said, oh, really? You know, I didn't, didn't, I just kind of tossed it to the side. Yeah. And so then they approached me and it was, that was what she was talking about. And, and so I was like, well, I've heard about it. Tell me more. And um, again, when, when, when John calls and says, what are you doing? You have to ask a few more questions. <laughs> um, he's, no, he's a great guy. Um, he's, he's, been a great support to me for many years, but he uh, talked to Bill Hudson. He's going to be in Iowa. And I said, okay. And so I met with, with Bill and if he's listening, thank you, Bill. Cause he went back and said, hire her. She's fantastic. And, and they did. And um, I had, had just the most amazing time with, with my time with Aurora and even when they you know, merged with or not merged, but got bought out by Matthews, yep. um, just really fantastic people. Um, I worked real closely with, with Mike Lake, um, who's still with them. And I just probably one of the most meaningful jobs that I had. So I was yeah. their partner development manager for um, a program they had called Be Remembered. And yeah. we worked a lot with hospice, assisted living. Um, I got 
deeply involved with the Alzheimer's Association because that seemed to be a really good place when you're at, when you're talking to people about remembering their life. Those people don't often remember their life, and so how right. can we encourage people to to do what they need to do now before something um, like that happens, yeah. if it happens? And and so um, got really just really embedded with the Alzheimer's Association so much that I ended up as the co-chair for the Ontario, California walk, how that happened. I don't know, but I did. <laughs> um, I was out there a lot. I was in California a lot and worked with them a lot. And um, so being able to bring these programs to organizations that were looking to um, be something different to their, to their community or to um, just you know, walking into even an assisted living to say, hey, we're going to help you to write your story. Right. And we're going to make certain that other people, you know, your loved ones know about your life. Um, because when, when we get ready to do your service, we get 30 minutes to tell it. And that isn't near enough. No, no. And, and, and so um, I traveled pretty much all over the United States and I had a lot of great funeral homes out there that I, I got to work with and I, I hope that they're they're still doing it. I don't know. Um, and right before I had, uh, right before I left uh, Matthews Aurora, we we were working with um, Joel Osteen's church um, with their director of senior ministries mm-hmm. to begin to start doing this. So there was things starting to take off right before COVID, and then COVID hit, and we couldn't do things anymore. Sure. So. Um, that one, that really for me was just probably one of the most meaningful careers I've had. And and I enjoyed working with that group of people immensely. It sounds like it. So what was the connection then to, uh, Aurora and the caskets then? So you're doing all of these and you're helping, was it on Mm -hmm. the path of funeral homes or how did that connect to, to their company? And yeah, what was that? What was that all about? Before they were before they were bought out by Matthews, mm-hmm. um, Michael Quinn. This was really Michael Quinn's baby. Was was be remembered. Him and Marty Strohoffer um, put together this program called Be Remembered, and really felt like that if we could help, it was really set up as a hospice program. So uh. they kind of felt like if we could strengthen the relationships between funeral homes and hospices it would give a better understanding of the value of a funeral director, right? And then we could also have those conversations with hospice and say, what what can we do better as, as funeral directors? Yeah. And so that's really how it started. And, it. Um, and because I come in and kind of go, Ooh, what else can I do? And, and I really kind of started branching out into some other things that seem to, to work really well and, and going in and giving really good attention to each client and say, okay, let's take six weeks and let's build out some programs and let me help you with this. Um, one of the kind of the more unique areas that we were getting into again, right before, before COVID, um, you know, stopped us all in our tracks. Uh-huh. Um, we were getting ready to do, um, a prison project in Missouri oh. with between a funeral home, a hospice and a prison. And because oh. this particular prison had hospice services, and so regardless, here's my whole thing, regardless, if you are in prison, you are homeless, you are the elite of the elite, doesn't matter. Everybody has a story to tell. Yep. And that's kind of what we were saying is um, let's let's let people tell their stories, yeah. regardless of the circumstances that they're in. And so um, 
that was one that I was really, really looking forward to working on, but it, it didn't come to fruition because of, of COVID. And, and then, and then I took a different job. Super cool. Super cool. Then that led you to where you are now with the Iowa funeral directors. So actually it didn't. didn't. Of course you had another stop on the way. (laughs) So, so, um, at some point, um, well, it was in, in 2020, again, right when we were kind of the thick of COVID, I had received, I had been, had a conversation with um, Jay Dodds from Parkland. And in April of 2020, they offered me a job as their director of people development. And I accepted the job. And I knew that it was, you know, a great company, great for my career and the, and the things I wanted to do to grow and I wanted to do more. And this was um, a great opportunity for me. So, but it also required me moving from the great state of Iowa to the second great state of Texas. (laughs) And um, so I moved to Texas and moved to Houston in 2020, which was quite the experience um, moving in, you know, when you're pretty limited. And I was with them for two years and I loved my job. Fantastic people. I will, I always say, I don't know if I will have better friends than the ones that I met in Texas. Um, Fantastic group of people. And I miss working with them. Uh, Just got to work with a lot of great people. Uh, Jay and and Matt Forstieri and some of those guys just really helped to kind of expand my knowledge in funeral service. And I'm grateful for that. I, I, I got to do a lot of training and, um, which was great. And one of the best things that I trained for them was through Arbinger called the outward mindset. And I, that one was near and dear to my heart. And, but I woke up one day and I came, I had come back to Iowa and I was like, Oh, I just, I miss home and I miss my kids. And even though they're, they're adults and, you know, I don't need to be on their doorstep. I just missed my kids and I wanted to come home. And I very, I made the decision to come home. And very shortly after that, I was offered this job and that's how I got back to Iowa. How perfect. Uh, yeah. I know we, 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 t- we touched on it or before we were actually recording, I know you have a special project that you're working on with the Iowa Funeral Director Association. I would love to hear a little bit about that um, for our audience. I think they're going to love it. Super cool. Let's hear it. Yeah. So one of the things when I, when I started, I came back and I took this job and um, there was really no playbook. So I'm looking at everything and going, okay, what am I going to do? And what do I have to do? And came across um, a couple of totes in the back room that had a lot of newspaper articles and and things in it and videotapes, VHSs, if you can imagine. (laughs) And I um, started looking at them and it was, and it really kind of jogged my memory because I do remember this. It was um, articles from the United Flight 232 crash that happened on July 19th, 1989. Okay. And I, you know, I was like, oh gosh, I do remember that. Uh-huh. I was younger, but I do remember that. Yeah. And so I just started reading a lot of the articles, looking at a lot of the pictures, looking at the videos. Um, but the articles are what kind of stood out to be to me more so. Um, sure. Was, there was a lot of 
talk about how important, you know, this organization was, or this group of people was, or they interviewed these people and these people, there was nothing about our 125 funeral directors from 80 different funeral homes that volunteered their time, their services, products, um, whatever it was, uh, with no expectations other than to say, I, I, I'm going to step up to the plate and do this. And I'm I'm reading through this. And one of the funeral directors in five and a half days was there for hundred almost 122 hours. Wow. And so I'm reading this and there's just nothing mentioned. Like the funeral directors are completely kind of glossed over and it broke my heart because, um, you have, there was 183 people on that plane and 111 of them died Jeez. in the crash. There was one that died the next day in the emergency or in the hospital. Yeah. But there's 111 people that have to be embalmed and put in a casket and shipped to it, it, these people weren't from Sioux city, Iowa. These people were from all over, all over right. the country. And probably and in so, very compromised condition, I would say. Yes. Yeah. And so who, who does, who does those things? It's the funeral director. It's not the yeah. Red Cross. It's not the Air National Guard, as fabulous as those people were. And yeah. the, the funeral directors had a lot of praise for, especially the Air National Guard. Um, those funeral directors gave of their time and they have never been thanked or recognized or had anybody say, I can't imagine how that affected you. And because I think the general consensus if you talk to somebody especially outside of funeral service is well you're a funeral director so you death is your thing it shouldn't bother you and and it does and and to walk into a situation where you are seeing this mass mass casualty with 111 people deceased that you have to help identify you have to they need autopsies potentially they have to um, be embalmed. They have to get into a casket. They have to get to the right location. Yeah. That's what the funeral director does. Um, now to me, that's a secondary thing as to what a funeral director does, but it is still crucial. And, and this, we're talking 1989, there's no DNA. Um, everybody's buried, you know, cremation was not, I don't don't know if any of them were cremated, maybe there were, but eventually, but they all, so Batesville brought in 111 of the same caskets wow. and um, everybody was casketed. Um, it got to either Sioux City, Sioux Falls, or Omaha to be flown out. Anyway, wow. um, so these funeral directors come in and I just felt like it's going to be 35 years right before our convention or right after our convention, I should say. Uh-huh. How can we how can we honor them? How can we recognize them there out of that 125? There's probably close to at least a third, if not more that are deceased. And, and I'm looking at the list and I know a lot of these funeral directors and, you know, we may not, they may not have a lot of time left either. And then the thing that really struck me was there was one individual that went over there and she was an intern at the time. Wow. And I'm like, how can you, you know, how could that have negatively potentially affected her view of funeral service? So here you go. You're in your mass casualty experience as an intern. 
Yeah. That could have deterred her, but it didn't. Um, I think she just retired just a few years ago, actually. Wow. And, and so I, I just said, I think this is something that I want to do and I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to try. And so I started reaching out to all the funeral directors and said, would you be a part of doing an interview so that we could show that during our banquet um, at our convention in 2024? Yeah. We want to honor you. We want to recognize you. We want to thank you. And, and nobody has said no so far. Everybody has agreed to be interviewed. So we're starting interviews in a couple of weeks. And Funeral Director's Life, um, I happened to know somebody there, and they they said, let us help. And I've had a few more people say, we know this isn't going to be an inexpensive project. Let us yeah. help. And um, had a lot of offers. So that's what we are in the middle of is starting to do interviews and put together what we hope to be a, a very meaningful tribute to those funeral directors that gave of their time and their service and, and all that stuff. So that's, I am really looking forward to be, to, to do that for them because again, when you read the articles, you just kind of go, what, there's no mention of a funeral director in any of this. And yet they were there. Yeah. It's so So. unbelievably touching that you're doing that. And um, just, to do that for for those people and even the families of the funeral directors if they're no longer with us too i bet you that'll mean a lot to a lot of people and even the people probably that were on that flight and their families like that's gonna be a very touching thing so um i think that's just so beautiful and um something that not a lot of us funeral directors can even imagine because not that many of us have been in uh, you know, uh, a, a situation where there was a, a mass amount of deaths um, at, at one short period of time. So um, it's, it's a very challenging thing. Like our job is challenging to begin with. That is a different level. And for you to come this many years later and recognize them is just so, so beautiful. And I think it's going to mean a world, mean the world to um, all those people. And I think even just funeral directors in general, just to get that level of recognition, um, it means a lot because we are a lot of times unsung heroes um, behind the scenes of a lot of different situations. And um, what you're doing is just, it's so, so, so nice. I love to hear it. Well, thank you, Mike. I think, you know, I I come at it from just a very different perspective and I, I, I see how hard you all work and that you give, you know, it's, it's not a, you know, I'm lucky I can go to work eight to five Monday through Friday and, and that's not what you all do. And, um, and, and we hope and pray that we never have to be a part of something that tragic and that big, but we just don't know. And, um, and so that next day, our, our first session of the day on Wednesday will actually be a panel of individuals that have been through mass casualties as, as a funeral director. Um, and, and so that, um, and we'll have a moderator with questions and things like that. So we're, we really want people to understand that, Hey, you may never be involved in something like this. And and we hope, hope you're not, Yeah. but we see so much more of it, maybe not in a way of a plane crash, but we see it in other areas that, um, I just want to make certain that the public 
the, the people out, out on the other side see the value of a funeral director and Absolutely. that this just because we de- we're in the death care industry doesn't mean that that we get used to it or that it doesn't hurt or that we don't have our own struggles and you know you have fire departments and police departments that have debriefings after tragedies and funeral directors don't no. there's no debriefing no. and and so you know that that's one thing that i have started to do is to re we're reaching out to fire departments and police departments to ask them to include funeral directors in their debriefing because they're there with them yeah. they're there with them. and and maybe they don't need it but maybe but some of these young kids you know you, you come in as a new funeral director and if especially the, the gal who was an intern, you come in and that's your first experience, boy, you probably need somebody to talk to. No kidding. And, and so um, I, I'm just really grateful for the funeral directors that have um, offered to be a part of the interview process because they're coming from, they're coming from all over to be a part of this. Yeah. And I, I, I just hope that they know um, at least I, I mean, how much I appreciate them, but how much, a lot of us do. Um, they just don't get told enough. They get told with the family, oh, you know, it's a great service. She did a great job. And that's wonderful. But we forgot to do it when it probably was needed most. Oh, well said. And that's a perfect, just a perfect uh, mic drop for us. Just uh, your career has been unbelievable. And um, I love that people are going to be able to see that there's so many different ways that you can be involved in funeral service and to help make a difference in so many people's lives. And um, we can see that's what you have done throughout your career so far. And um, it's just really touching and beautiful. And we appreciate you doing all that for the funeral directors that, that have been in that situation and then everything that you've done for all these families. It's extremely touching and just um, we we just love to hear it and we appreciate everything that you do. and. Um, the world's a better place when we have people like you. So thank you so much for for taking the time and uh, just just giving us your knowledge today. Hey, Mike, I, I appreciate you guys, you know, asking me to be a part of this. And I am incredibly grateful for all the opportunities that I've been given in my life and, and the people that I've been able to work with, because each and every one of them have touched my life and made me better at what I do and still have a lot of growing to do and a lot of things I want to get done. So and maybe we'll meet up here again. Love to hear it. And go, go Iowa State. Oh, I know that's our that's our only. I was going to sign off with a uh, go Hawks, and I'm going to edit on that. <laughs> <laughs>